0: Next Sunday morning in the 845 service, our orchestra is going to play, and they're going to be up here at the front. A lot of musicians playing a lot of different instruments, and they will be formed in a semicircle up here. The reason is because that's, that was the shape of the theaters in ancient Greece and Rome. And so they're going to be up here with a lot of different instruments, and we're going to have our, our orchestra director, Georgia Cornegay. She'll be standing on a platform front of them and she'll be leading them she'll be waving her arms and her hands because she will be setting the tempo and she'll be shaping the sound and she will be unifying the the orchestra so that whenever they play it won't just be random uh, notes it will all be unified together as one sound and you know that's that's kind of how God does the church he puts all of us together, all of us with different gifts and abilities, puts us all together, and He's the one that, that sets the tempo and, and directs the sound and unifies us, so that together we're one ascending to Him and not just a bunch of individuals. Last Sunday morning, we started a new sermon series that will go for six weeks. It's entitled, Understanding Your Spiritual Gifts. And so last Sunday, we looked at some some guidelines as to how to use your spiritual gift, and, and we talked about some things about spiritual giftedness. Whenever you became a believer in Jesus, God gave you, some people say, as a birthday gift. He gave you gifts. Those are special abilities to do things. He gave those to you. They're called spiritual gifts. Now, this morning, if there's there's never been a time, and I'm sure that's the case with, with some of you here, if there's never been a time in your life that you've submitted your life to Christ, then you don't have a spiritual gift. Not yet. You get it whenever you become a believer. So, you don't have a spiritual gift yet, so there must be a time in your life that you, you repent of your sins and say, Heavenly Father, with your own lips, your own mouth, Heavenly Father, I, I'm a sinner. I know that I do things wrong, and I believe something happened 2,000 years ago. I wasn't there. I didn't see it, but I believe it by faith. Jesus died on the cross and, and rose again the third day, and so I submit my life to you. Come into my life. Change me. Make me who you want me to be. If, you, if you've never prayed a prayer like that, then that's the first thing you need to do. Don't worry about spiritual gifts. In fact, the rest of the sermon doesn't really apply to you. But this morning, if you have submitted your life to Christ and you have given Him control, then the rest of the sermon is for you because you have spiritual gifts. And you have a giftedness. Now, if you've never prayed the prayer to receive Christ, We're going to have a moment coming up in just a a few minutes where we'll give you the opportunity to do that. No one's going to be forced or coerced into anything. We don't believe in that. But we'll give you the opportunity to make that decision if you want. But if you've already done that, then the rest of the sermon is directly to you. Because you have a gift. You need to find out what it is and how to use it. Now, last Sunday morning, we saw some guidelines on spiritual gifts. We saw that... That gifts are not talents. Talents are different than gifts. Talents you're born with. Talents may be inherited from your parents. Maybe music. It may be drawing. Those are talents. Those are spiritual gifts. So, so gifts and talents are different. Gifts are given and empowered by God to be used to unify the body, build up the body. No one gift is more important than another one, and there are only 20 of them. That's all. 20. No more, no less. You've got one of them, at least, maybe more. So, what is your spiritual gift? So last week, we talked about some guidelines as to how to use them. This Sunday, we're going to start talking about the 20 gifts. We're not going to do all 20 today. We'll do six today. but We'll start talking for the next few weeks What are the 20 gifts? How do you know if you have one of those? And if you do, how do you use it? So listen to what Paul said as he wrote to the Ephesians, chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now that is, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Now listen to the gifts. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints. The work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, let's start talking about the 20 gifts and see what they are. You'll see on the screen, they're divided up into three categories. Most theologians divide them up. way. So ministry gifts, that's what we'll talk about this morning. Six of those from Ephesians 4. Motivational gifts, we'll talk about next Sunday. Seven of those from Romans 8. And then manifestation gifts, we'll talk about the following Sunday, seven of those from 1 Corinthians. So this morning first of all let's talk about ministry gifts. What if you have one of those? Whenever you hear the word minister, you usually think of a person. I'm a minister. But a minister is not only a noun, it's also a verb. It's not just who you are, it's it's what you do. So there's a difference. Now, as you look, you, you, Paul in, in, in uh, verse uh, 8, Paul quoted Psalm 68 to 18. Before Jesus ascended, he descended. And is he talking about going to the grave? Is he talking about going to hell? There's one theory out there from 1 Peter that Jesus, the three days between his death and resurrection, that he descended into hell to proclaim to the captives there that victory had been won. It's one theory. So whenever he says he descended in the depths, either the grave or it could be talking about hell. But notice what he said. After he descended, he ascended 40 days later, and he gave gifts to us to use. Now here's the picture. Back in biblical days when a king went to battle, if he won... He would would ride back into his hometown after the victory. He would have the spoils from the victory. He would have a parade behind him. He would go, he would lead the parade on the way back to Jerusalem or wherever it would be. Go back to the city. Everyone cheering when he got there. He was the victor. And he would then, all the residents would gather and he would take the spoils that he he got with the battle. And he would give them to each of the citizens of the community. So Paul took that image, that picture, and said, Jesus, the the victor over death and the grave, has returned and given you spoils, gifts for you to use. And then he started listing them. He listed the first six. Let's look at those. It's interesting. They're in the order of how they're used in the book of Acts. Six ministry gifts. Number one, first gift, apostles, from verse 11, and it means one sent. New Testament's written in Greek. In the Greek, it's apostolos. It means somebody who is sent. Now, originally in the Bible, in the word apostle is used, it meant an eyewitness of Jesus, somebody who was there that saw him with their own eyes. I have people ask me all the time, Pastor, what's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? An apostle was somebody who saw Jesus with their eyes. Disciples did too, but not all of them. So somebody that saw Jesus with their eyes was an apostle, an eyewitness. And then later on in the book of Acts, an apostle began to refer to somebody who had seen Jesus resurrected with their eyes but he had also given them a mission or a task to do. Twelve of the eleven disciples. Judas had killed himself by now, so Matthias replaced him, so twelve disciples plus Paul. They had seen the resurrected Christ, and he had given them a mission to do. So apostle means one sent on a mission. Who would that be today? missionaries. Those people God calls out from a church, sends them to live somewhere else, a place that maybe doesn't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and that's their job. They're missionaries. They're apostolos. They're ones sent. Now, at First Baptist Church, we, we go on a lot of mission trips. We just had a team come back from the valley and building a home. We have a team out today. We, we, go all, we go to five of the seven continents on mission trips from our church. And so many of you have a mission spirit about you. If you do, maybe you are an apostolos because you thrive in new work. You thrive pioneering areas, those areas that have never heard the gospel or not heard it much. You may have the gift of apostleship. Here's the second gift, number two. Prophets. He gave some to be apostles and some prophets. Now, whenever you hear the word prophet, most people think, oh, that's somebody that tells the future. A prophet, that's somebody, they stand up and they tell you what's going to happen. Are we living in the end times? Are we not living in the end times? I've had people asking recently, with Israel attacked, with the sun going dark yesterday, are we living in the end times? And so we're wondering, it, it's, a prophet is somebody that foretells the future. what we think, but that's not right. If you go to Mardell or any Christian bookstore, you'll see a section up there that says, Prophecy. It's a large section, a lot of books there. And all the books have to do with the end times and the last days and Jesus coming back again and the world ending and, and all of that. Because they think prophecy, they think future. But that's not what the word prophet in the Bible means. It doesn't mean foreteller. It means fourth teller. It doesn't mean somebody that can look into the future and tell you what's going to happen. It means somebody that stands up and what God has already revealed to us opens it up and boldly tells it to you. Who does that? Preachers. So a prophet is a foreteller. It a, it's a preacher. Someone who takes God's Word and declares it. Now, there were times in the Old Testament and New Testament that a foreteller also told the future, sometimes, but not always. So there were foretelling elements sometimes in the foretelling, but it's not needed as much today because in those days they didn't have the Bible yet, And, and we have God's complete revelation. So, there's really not much need for a preacher to stand and tell you what's going to happen in the future because he's already told us. We just need to proclaim what he's already revealed. Now, back in biblical times, a preacher did three things. He would take what God revealed to him, and he would declare it boldly. That's one. Secondly, he would lead out in worship services. He would he would sometimes lead in public prayer. He led the service. And thirdly, he would encourage the people listening. He'd comfort them. He'd encourage them, and he'd instruct them. Who does that today? Preachers. We stand and we declare what God said. We lead a worship service. I, I lead in prayer and hopefully encourage you and instruct you. That's the gift of Prophecy. Here's the third gift. Evangelist. It means bringer of good news. It's the Greek word evangelistus, Somebody who brings good news. So somebody with the gift of evangelism is gifted to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Other people hear it and they're especially convicted to give their life to Christ. There are some people like that. Have you ever known somebody, it seems like they're always sharing their faith, God's always bringing somebody to them that needs to hear about Christ, they get saved, and you go, wow, that's, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, that, they just that happens to them all the time. Have you ever known people like that? They have the gift of evangelism. Very simple. Now, two notes about the gift of evangelism. Number one, if you don't have that gift, it does not excuse you from sharing your faith. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism to share what's happened to you. We're all commanded as believers to share our faith and know how to share our faith. But there are some people... God keeps bringing lost person after lost person. They keep sharing, and they're saved miraculously. But we're all called to share. It's just that some people have a unique gift to do it. Here's the second note. If you don't have that gift, don't be intimidated. Because it can intimidate you. You can go, wow, look what Look what that person, they're, they're sharing their faith and people are coming to Christ. And I, I, I can't do that. They must be closer to God than I am. They, they must be more holy than I am because that doesn't happen to me. There they must be a lot more spiritual. I, I wish I could do that. And, but remember from last week, you don't have that gift, but you have another gift they don't have. Use what gifts you have. God blesses you and uses you. So don't be intimidated if you don't have that gift. Now, as Baptists, we're bad about taking the gift of evangelism and elevating it and going, wow, now that's a gift. Now that's a Christian right there. And we elevate it. Back in Corinth, they did tongues that way, took the gift of tongues and elevated it. Oh, wow, if you speak in tongues, you're holy. We do that in Baptist churches with evangelism. But that's their gift. And you have another gift. You share your faith, but you have another gift that God uses. Here's the fourth gift. Pastor-teacher, verse 11. Pastor, the word is poemon, herdsman in Greek. Teacher, didaskalos. We get the word uh, didache or, or, or uh, didactic from it. Instructor. Those people, pastor, teacher, those people who settle down in one church, they're there week after week teaching and preaching and pastoring, and they settle down in one location and that's where they serve, to encourage a local body that's there. That's a pastor, what we know as a pastor. I feel like I have the gift of pastor-teacher. You may say, no, 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 pastor, you don't, you don't have that one. But that's one of the ways I feel God's gifted me. I'm, I settled down here, been here 19 years, one place, one congregation, to instruct you, to comfort you. To challenge you. When I first went into ministry, I was 19 years old, and and I thought God wanted me to be an evangelist. Not be in one church, but a different church every Sunday, preaching so people would come to know Christ. And I did that for five years, through college and one year of seminary. But my second year of seminary, I felt God moving upon my heart that I was to be in one congregation, one place, and pour my life into you. And And I still feel that way. I still feel that's my calling, and I still feel like you are the ones I've been called to do life with and to use my gift of pastor-teacher with you. Now, you may wonder, why the hyphen between pastor-teacher? Why the slash? Why not just pastor or why not teacher, but why do I keep saying pastor-teacher? Now, let me give you a quick Greek lesson from the New Testament. All of the gifts so far that I mentioned have a definite article before them. The Apostolos, the Apostles. The Prophetes, Prophets. The Evangelistes, the Evangelists. The Poema, Pastors. But when it comes to teacher, there's no definite article. It just says, The Pastor, Teacher. Now, whenever you see that in the Greek language, when you see the definite article before the noun, that class is a group by itself. Apostles by itself. Prophets by themselves. Evangelists by themselves. But when we come to pastor, it's pastor-teacher together. Now, one other note. The Greek word for the word and, A-N-D, is the word, two words. One word is de, D-E. And it means, if you say this and that, it means this of one kind and that of another kind. So, day means two different kinds. But whenever you use the word kai for and, K-A-I, it means two of the same kind. So, here it's pastors, kai, no definite article, teachers. Teachers. Now I learned this in third-year Greek at seminary, uh, and it was—it's what's called Sharp's Rule of the Article. 1700s. Uh, uh, he was actually a politician in England by the name of Granville Sharp, but he was also a Greek scholar, and he noticed something about their constructions. Whenever you have a noun with a definite article, a second noun without a definite article, and a chi in the middle, it always refers to one office, not two. So it's pastor teacher why is that important here's why listen carefully what scripture's telling us is if you are a pastor you're a good teacher because it's a part of the office now I've heard pastors say before well I'm not a very good preacher or teacher but I love the people I'm I'm a pastor pastor You have to also be a teacher. It's part of the giftedness. I've heard people say about pastors, well, you know, they're not not a real good teacher or preacher, but they're a good pastor. That's an oxymoron. If you're called a pastor, you're called to be a good teacher. It's the same office. Now, pastor is a subset of teacher. All pastors are teachers, but all teachers are not pastors. So, let's go to the fifth gift, teachers. This goes to Romans chapter 12, verse 7. There is an office, there's a giftedness that if you don't feel called to pastor, you are still a teacher, some of you. What is a person or who is a person that has a gift of teaching? Somebody that has that gift can take the Bible, make it plain, make it understandable, and make it clear. Because a lot of the Bible is hard to understand. But if you have the gift of teaching, you have the ability to open it, teach it, and it becomes clear. Now, if you have that gift, you need to be teaching a Sunday school class. You need to be leading a uh, Bible study group. You need to be leading a group study of some kind. You need to be a one-on-one mentor if you have the gift of teaching. Some of you do. We've got some good teachers in our church. But here are two things I've noticed about the gift of teaching. Number one, if you have the gift of teaching, you love to study. Man, you you love getting into the book and you love study and the background and the history and you love putting it together and you have a passion to dig in. If you don't have that passion, you're probably not a teacher. You may have a class, but you don't have a gift of teaching. When I was in, in growing up, I grew up in Oklahoma, and, and um, I went to church every Sunday, and for four years when I was a, in high school, I had, I had a teacher. He was an awesome man. I loved him. He loved us. He didn't have the gift of teaching. Nobody else would teach the class, probably because the Ammons boy was in there. I don't know, but nobody wanted to teach the class, so he did it, and you know, bless his heart, just, okay, I'll volunteer, but he didn't have the gift of teaching. He hated study. He, he hated researching. In fact, here's what he did. He told us, during the week, he never opened the lesson. He never studied it, never looked at it. Saturday night, he'd get out his Sunday school quarterly, and he'd see what the passage was, and he'd read it, and he'd shut it. The next day, we had 45 minutes in class, in Sunday school class. And so he would say, well, what, how'd your boy's week go? And we'd talk about how our week went, well, what'd you learn this week? And we talked about our week, and then we talked about the Cowboys. Hey, how many the Cowboys are going to do Saturday or Sunday or, or Monday night or whenever they play? How, how, what do you think? And we talked about the ball game. And the last five minutes of class, we opened the quarterly and we read the passage, just read it. And he said, Y'all got any thoughts? None of us ever did. Let's pray. <laughs> he, just, he just didn't like to study, he didn't have the gift of teaching. And some of you may teach class that way. And If that's true, then step down and let somebody else who has the gift of teaching teach. Because you're keeping them from it. Here's the second thing I noticed about the gift of teaching. If you have it, you're engaging to listen to. It's not people going, oh my goodness, when is this class going to be over? What time is it? Oh, wow it's not dull it's not boring it's not dry you are engaging and you love that content because you've studied it that's a teacher and many of you are like that man. many of you are awesome teachers in this church and then there's gift number six the last one the gift of celibacy 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The gift of remaining unmarried to serve Jesus better. Now, some people count this as a spiritual gift. Other Bible scholars do not. I I do. I think it's a gift. Because in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul calls it a gift. Some of you, he said, have the gift of remaining unmarried. So you can focus on Jesus better. It's a special ability. It's not for everybody. But it is for some. Now, whenever Paul wrote Corinthians, he was not married. We know that. He tells us. He's not, I'm not married. Either he never married or his wife died. He's a widower. But in either case, when he wrote Corinthians, he said... I wish that you were like me, but it's not for everybody. He says, if you remain single, it's not a sin. If you marry, he said, it's not a sin. It's not a sin either way. It's just that God has gifted some people to remain single so they can serve Jesus better. He says, if you can't do that, it's better to To marry than to burn. He meant burn with passion. The Greeks and the Romans both, they they used the term passion to describe being in love. And so Paul used the vernacular of the day. It's better to to marry than to burn. But if, if you're gifted in that way, remain single because you have two advantages as a single person. Number one, Paul said, whenever you go through hardships for the gospel it's easier to go through it by yourself than to drag a family through it so it's easier for you second reason to remain single he said is because whenever you are single you're less distracted serving Christ if you're married you're, you're divided. I want to please God. I want to please my wife. I want to please God. I've got this family. I want to please God. I want to please my husband. I, I want to please God. But if you don't have that distraction, you can focus solely upon serving Jesus. But it's not for everybody, he said. So I believe it is a gift. Some of you may have that gift. It's the only gift I know that whenever you get it, you want to give it back. Because some people focus, I just want to be married so badly Maybe God has for you to remain single to serve Him better. And then Paul closes Ephesians by saying the reason God gave these six gifts is so that you can go out and do the work of ministry and build up the body of Christ. Did you notice something? So you can go out and do ministry. Most church members think, well, it's the pastor's job to run around and do ministry. It's what we pay him for. No, no, you pay me to instruct you, according to Paul, to go do ministry. Shepherds don't bear sheep. Sheep bear sheep. So it's our job to equip you. Many years ago, for centuries, farmers lived on top of a mountain in northeastern Australia called Iron Gate Mountain. The people that lived up there were, well, they were mountain folks. They were poor. They raised crops as best they could, and they had a few cattle. But century after century, they just lived as paupers. They didn't have much. And one day, one of the paupers living up there in the year 1882 picked up a rock, looked at it, and thought, you know, that's kind of funny shaped and funny color. And he thought, I wonder what this is. And so he went and showed it to some of his buddies, and they went, ah, it's just a rock. Throw it away. And went on. But he saw a couple of others later. The man's name was William McKinley. No, not President William McKinley, the Australian William McKinley. He picked it up again, looked at it, and found another one. Went to some buddies, and they said, no, no. But he wasn't convinced. He had three brothers that were friends of his, the Morgan brothers, Ted, Fred, and Ned. (laughs) Their parents were original. Went to these three and said, um... What is this? I said, well, it does look funny, doesn't it? I wonder if it's gold. Nah, maybe. So the three Morgan brothers bought 10 acres on top of that little land and started to dig. And guess what? It was gold. A lot of gold and silver and copper. And so they started digging, and they started mining it out, and they renamed Iron Gate Mountain. They they renamed it Mount Morgan because it was the three brothers that had believed and started to dig. And over the next 99 years, until 1984, 99 years, they mined gold, and it became the largest gold mine in the world. Over 99 years, they, they mined out 524,000 pounds of gold. We measured it in ounces, $1,000 an ounce. 500, half a million pounds of gold. 54,000 pounds of silver and 360,000 tons of copper. You know what copper's worth today? And they mined it out. It was enough wealth in that one mountain to fund medical research, which it did later on, and form the British Petroleum Oil Exploration, the BP BP started with the money from the mountain. Here's a picture of Mount Morgan. That was before they started mining, and that is a heat sensitive map showing you where the gold was. And for centuries, they lived on top of this mountain, poor as they could be, as paupers, never realizing buried beneath was something valuable. That's the picture of a lot of Christians. You live your life, no purpose, no direction. And deep inside, God has given you gifts that if you use, give you meaning and purpose and joy and live the way the King of Kings designed you to live. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for your word. And God, thank you for gifting us the way that you have. Lord, I want to pray first of all for the people that that stopped listening at the first of the sermon because they've never received Jesus as Savior, so they don't have any spiritual gifts. And God, it is my prayer you would speak to those hearts powerfully right now and give them courage in just a moment to walk up here and decide to trust Jesus. But Lord, I want to pray for those who are believers today and sitting out there, help them to know what their gifts are. Lord, if you've called any of them to be an apostolos, or to be a preacher, or to be an evangelist, or to be a teacher, or to be celibate. Father, would we submit to your giftedness today? In Jesus' name, amen.